This morning we're going to read, beginning in, in chapter 9 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 18. It says, He was telling them these things, and suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter is near death, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the tassel on his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. But Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players, the crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl isn't dead, but sleeping. And they started laughing at him, but the crowd, when the crowd had been put outside... He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up, and this news spread throughout the whole area. Father, thank you for recording these awesome miracles of what it means to be close to you and your word, so that we today, here in 2015, can learn what will happen when we draw close to you. I pray that all of us will be more than resolved, that we will be committed, that we will be surrendered to be closer to Jesus in 2015, and that that would begin a pattern for the rest of our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, some of you have heard me tell the story uh, about the older gentleman and his wife that were headed down the road in their pickup truck, and he was on his side, and, and this was in the days when the pickup trucks had the sofa beds. Remember those? Uh, the, the, the sofa, excuse me, the, the sofa-style seats. Not, but the, the sofa seats in the front seat of a pickup truck where you could, at least in my family, get about five of us. When I got old enough, I was the one who had to sit in. I was the oldest, so I was the first one to have to sit in the back of the truck, you know, going to Grandma's house down Interstate 85. I don't even think that's legal anymore. I don't even think it's legal to go down a dirt road in the back of a pickup truck. We used to have all the fun, reach out and grab the briars and things like that, uh, going down the good old Madison County dirt roads. But, but back when the seats were made that way and you could get four or five people, this, this older couple, the man is sitting on one side, the wife is over on the other, and they get behind another pickup truck with the same kind of front seat, the sofa seat in the front. And, uh, and they notice that this is a younger couple, and the young lady has slid way up next to her husband. What they assumed at least was her husband. She's scooted up right next to him. So he's driving down the road and her arm's around. He's got one arm around her, one arm on the wheel, going down the road. And, and, and so this older gentleman's wife looks over at her husband and says, Do you remember when we used to be like that? And the older gentleman just kind of looked over at her and said, I haven't moved. <laughs> he was still sitting in the same place. I haven't moved. Let me ask you a question as we approach 2015. I want you to think throughout your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ when you got saved. and When you have grown and when you've been more passionate about the things of God, is there a time in your life that you can remember being more in love with Jesus Christ than you are today? Or would you say, I am closer to Jesus today than I can ever remember? 
If you can't say that, here's the question. Who moved? So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you closer to him than ever before? If not, who moved? So God hasn't gone anywhere. You know, Christmas, we just celebrated, is all about God coming to us. And in so many wonderful ways, Jesus Christ has invaded our world. Indeed, he comes to us when we can't get to him. But here's the neat and wonderful thing about Christ. He does not force himself into anyone's life. He does not force a level of closeness or intimacy that you would refuse. So we have to make a choice to draw close to him, even though he has to initiate the process and present himself to us. So he does come into our lives, but he asks us, he invites us to come to him. I think of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, yoke up with me, like you would yoke two oxen together. And he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want you to be part of who I am. In James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now we know that God in and of Himself is omnipresent, meaning He's everywhere. But the way the Holy Spirit works in our life, there's a certain awareness of His presence that we walk in or we choose to not walk in. And so as James says, as we draw near to Him, we become more aware of His presence in our lives. See, God shows up at Christmas in the person of Christ. Jesus ascended. He said, when I ascend, it will be a good thing because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will be my spirit everywhere, available for everyone. And so we're to draw near with, as Hebrews 10.22 says, with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith. We've been called to draw near to Jesus, closer to Jesus in 2015. Are you resolved? Are you committed? Are you even surrendered to say, I'm determined to be closer to Jesus than ever before? Because here's what I believe. All the other resolutions you can make, all the other commitments you can make, all of those goals you would want to accomplish, if you will simply take Jesus by the hand and walk with Him, you will experience all that He has for you and the rest will take care of itself. Some of us are you know, kind of wired a little bit different. You know, some, of, some of the ladies sitting here, for instance, if your husband were to say, um, get in the car, we're going somewhere, you, you would say, where are we going? Just trust me, get in the car, we're going to, it's going to be an adventure, come on, let's go. Where are we going? You've got to tell me where we're going before I get in the car. Others of you would say, man, I love that. Man, I don't care where we're going. Surprise me. It'll be fun. Just want to be together. And, and I believe that's where Jesus wants us in this relationship. To say, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And, and if Jesus says, I'm going, then I'm going with him. And, and so I'm going to take him by the hand. I'm going to enjoy the journey and get in on what he has for me. And so if we will make the resolution, if we will make the commitment, if we will have the resolve, if we will have the surrender in our lives to say, you know what? I'm just going to live close to Jesus then we will end up where He takes us. and We'll get in on His perfect will. And I've discovered in my life that hindsight is twenty twenty when it comes to the will of God. 
when we walk with him, we look back and say, wow, I didn't know he had that in mind. But it's awesome to experience that closeness. What happens when we choose to be closer to Jesus? From the text, I want you to see, first of all, that there is hope for the desperate in the midst of anguish. There is hope for the desperate in the midst of anguish. There's some interesting irony beginning in verse 18. As Jesus is explaining to his disciples about fasting and and praying and what it truly means to be in the presence of Christ and of God, this leader, this ruler of the synagogue, a, a religious, devout Jewish teacher came and he knelt before Christ. It says he knelt down, this, this act of brokenness and humility, saying, my daughter is near death. Why would a religious leader, when many of the religious leaders were rejecting Christ, why, do, why would a religious leader say, you know what, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to lay aside my pride, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to kneel down before Jesus, and, and I'm going to ask him for something. It's because his situation was desperate, and he was in anguish over the condition of his daughter. He was to a place where he was saying, I need Jesus to come to my house, and I need Jesus to make things right. And many of us this morning need to be at that same place in our spiritual journey where we're saying, I've got to get close to Jesus because I need Jesus to come into my house, and I need Jesus to make things right again. And this tells us that the religious crowd... Even though they rejected Christ often, they saw there was something different about him. They saw there was power in his work and in his preaching and in his ministry. So in desperation, in anguish, he comes, this ruler does, and he kneels down, humbles himself, worships Christ. The one who supposedly had all the answers is saying, Jesus, you're my only hope. See, my theology, my understanding of all of the Old Testament law, it's not doing me a lot of good right now. See, my little girl's sick, and she's about to die, and I need you in my home. I've got to come close to you, and I've got to bring you close to my home, and I've got to bring you to my little girl. Sometimes we feel like we've got it all together. Or that we're going to get it all together. It's as if we're writing the script of our lives. Some of us have experienced these demon-possessed computers when we're trying to type something up and it, you know, just, it won't format right. It won't do what we're trying to get it to do. Some kind of autocorrect is changing a word. Or maybe it just blue screens on us. We're, we're trying to write the script of our lives and, and something just takes over and, and won't let us... Can you imagine if you're typing and, and, and then, then somebody takes over the keys and you're just not in control anymore and, and the script doesn't go like you wanted it to go? Maybe you've already got your life scripted. Here's, here's what I'm going to do by age 30 and by age 40, 50, 60, and, and when I'm retired, this is what I'm going to do. And some of us who are older look back on it and say, you know what, everything that I had planned didn't happen the way I had planned it. Sometimes things don't work out that well. I am sure that the offensive and defensive coordinator for Florida State University had a wonderful plan going up against Oregon. But no matter what they, 
no matter what they tried, they were in a desperate situation. It wasn't working. The way they had it drawn out on paper, it simply wasn't working. Sometimes our lives are like that. We've got it all drawn out. We've got it mapped out. And and, and the script gets flipped on us and it's not working out. And this ruler in his humility, in this desperate situation out of anguish, comes to Christ and he's looking for hope. Verse 23, and we're going to come back to the passage in between with this woman who was healed. But Jesus came to the leader's house. He saw the flute players, the crowd lamenting. Often there were even people who were hired that were professional mourners who would add to the mourning at the time of death. All this is going on, a picture of of the mourners in our world today. Friends, uh, sometimes in our lives, like Job's friends who would say, you know what, just curse God and die. It's not worth it. Your marriage isn't worth it. School isn't worth it. Whatever you're trying to accomplish, it's not worth it. Just give up. Maybe it's the media who has nothing but doom and gloom. Politicians who spend more time putting everybody else down rather than sharing a vision of hope. Negativity. In verse 24, it says that they started laughing at Jesus when he said the girl was sleeping. One thing I've noticed about the world, when you determine that you're going to walk close to Jesus, when you have the confidence that you know in whom you believe that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think, when you walk with that kind of confidence, the world will mock you. The world will, there will be friends at school that make fun of you. There will be people that you work with that say, man, you've gone off the, the, the deep end. You're a religious fanatic. See, the world's mocking just as these mourners laughed at Christ. It's out of our own insecurities that we mock. If you ever want, why do, why do some people make fun of others? Adults, teenagers, children. Why does somebody have to, sometimes they're kind of being a bully with their behavior, and other times they're just kind of bullying with words. They even do it on social media now, and they, they just spend all their time making fun of people. You may just let you in on a secret. And this should help those of you who have been on the bullying uh, side where you've been bullied before. should give you a little bit more confidence if you understand this. Those who are doing the bullying, uh, sometimes we say, well, it's just just boys being boys. Now listen to this. Those who are doing the bullying suffer from insecurity. And that's the way they deal with their insecurity. The fact that they don't measure up to their own goals, their own standards, because they have insecurities in their life they've got to find a way to either verbally or sometimes physically put everybody else down. And so when you are on the receiving end of that, walk with your shoulders a little bit back and your head held a little bit higher and realize that you can say, bless their hearts, they must have a rough life at home. I need to pray for them because if they're bullying like that, they've got some kind of insecurity that they're dealing with, some kind of serious insecurity. Because confident people can show a lot of love and not have to put everybody else down. And when we're walking with Christ, getting in on what He has for us, we can walk with that kind of confidence. And Jesus does hear what only Jesus can do. It says He went and He took the girl by the hand, and the girl got up. 
Now, in Mark's account of this, we read the words that Jesus said in the Aramaic, Talitha kum, which being translated, Mark says, is, little girl, get up. And I think that those are the sweetest words that a father could read whose daughter is sick and suffering and has even physically breathed her last as far as man is concerned. Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And the little girl gets up. And it blew everybody else's mind. But this man who, by the way, Mark tells us his name is Jairus, this man said, you know what? I don't care who laughs at me. I don't care who mocks me. I don't care who mocks Christ. I'm in a desperate situation. I'm in a time of anguish, and I'm going to Jesus, and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to bring him into this desperate situation in my home in the midst of my anguish, and he experienced what only Jesus could do. What's your desperation this morning? Are you in a time of financial desperation as we start a new year where you need to see Jesus do what only Jesus can do? Is it relational desperation where you're saying, I don't know if God can heal my marriage. I don't know if God can restore my relationship with my children or my relationship with my parents. Is it a time of desperation with temptation where you're saying, you know what, I don't know if I can beat this sin anymore. And listen, we can't in and of ourselves. That's where we need to draw close to Jesus because it's in drawing close to Him that we experience only what only Jesus can do in our lives. So that's why I'm saying that needs to be your number one resolution. That needs to be your number one commitment is to say, you know what, I'm going to live closer to Jesus than ever before. I want to love Him more tomorrow than I do today. And the next day even more. There's hope for the desperate in the midst of anguish. Secondly, we see there's healing for the deserted in the midst of abandonment. See, in this story, there's a wonderful story within the story. Uh, it's such a beautiful story. Both Mark and Luke record this and include this woman's story. In verse 20, we read that as he's on his way to Jairus' home, that a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached and, and touched the tassel on his robe. We read in some translations the hem of his garment. This reminds us that even when Jesus is doing a work in somebody else's life, He's not too busy for you. God is never too busy for you. Isaiah says it this way, Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord of the universe or creator of the universe? He does not sleep or slumber. He does not grow weary. God's not too tired <laughs> to have time to work in your life. And so in the midst of going to Jairus' home, he, this, this woman says, I've got to draw close to him. I've got to be closer to Jesus. If I can just touch the tassel. See, her condition had rendered her ceremonially unclean. She was breaking all kinds of protocol here. She was not even supposed to be in public. Especially not around men. Because of this hemorrhaging condition she was experiencing. Which tells me, by the way, as Christians or even if you're not born again, that we shouldn't have this mentality, you know what, I've got to get my life straightened out so I can get close to Jesus. I've got to get all cleaned up so I can get back involved in church. Now listen, that's why we need to draw near to Jesus so He can clean us up. 
Listen, we've all tried to invite people to come be a, maybe a part of our worship here. And, and this, oh, I've got a few things I've got to take care of. No, we just need to come as we are and let God take care of those things. If anybody knew that, it was Matthew. If you go back to verse 9, here's what really started framing the context of this passage. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. Here's Matthew doing his job with the IRS, and Jesus calls him to be a follower of himself. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many believe this is Matthew's house now, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they were the religious smug that supposedly had it all together. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, Jesus said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was saying, this crowd is the crowd I came for. And I'm going to be in their midst. So God forbid that any of us this morning would say, you know what, I want to draw close to Jesus, but i got some things in my life I've got to deal with first. No, we draw close to Jesus so he can deal with those things. Jesus didn't say, hey, Matthew, when you get it all together and when you quit cheating people out of their tax money, I want you to come to me. He met Matthew where he was and said, hey, let's go to your house and meet some of your friends. That's one thing I love, Pastor Ben, about new believers is most of them still have some lost friends. Isn't that cool? Most of us that have been saved a while, we've kind of sit and soaked and soured too long, and if we're not careful, we don't have friends anymore who don't know the Lord. Matthew still had a lot of those friends who needed Jesus. So we're going to hang out at Matthew's house. Jesus is going to face criticism, but he goes where people are at. This lady, she didn't need to wait until she got things right to come to Jesus. That's why she needed Jesus, so he could make things right. She touches why this particular translation says the tassel of robe instead of the hem of the garment. In Numbers chapter 15, 37 to 41, we see that devout Jewish males, the outer garment had four tassels representing God's word and, and God's laws that were to guide and govern their lives. By this time, as we enter into the, the, the New Testament period, this outer garment had basically become a prayer shawl. And so for the woman to touch the hem of the garment was really for her to touch a tassel on the robe for her to be close to what she considered the Word of God and the prayer life of the one wearing it. The, the Word of God guiding and the prayer life of the one wearing it. So you might be asking the question this morning, well, I know the Holy Spirit is here. Christ isn't visible. visible. He's not seeable. I, I can't touch the literal hem of His garment. But we can touch Jesus through prayer and the Word of God. If we get on our face in prayer and open this Word on a daily basis, it will be everything and more that it was for that woman who was touching the tassels on His robe. By faith, she experienced immediate healing. Being made well meant that she was no longer abandoned. See, there are certain spiritual implications to this because of her being abandoned, because of her being isolated, 
because of her sickness, because she wasn't able to come around everybody else. She was considered unclean. She was considered impure. Rather than get, getting it all clean, she, now, now all of a sudden she realized in the, in the midst of her desperation, Jesus was willing to do a work in her life. There's healing for us this morning. And I believe we can all experience the healing of just being in Christ's presence. It may be that it's a miraculous physical healing that we experience. And I believe that's available through the power of the cross. It may be a mental healing. It may be an emotional healing that we need to experience. But the point is not the experience of the healing as much as it is the experience of the presence of Jesus. Where you can get to a place in life, I've got this with me uh, this morning. Miss Diane, um, Diane Aaron gave me this several years ago after her late husband Joe passed away. But this plaque sits in my office as a constant reminder it says, when you've nothing left but God, God is enough. When you've nothing left but God, God's enough. The reason that, that she gave me this is because I was so fond of the fact that when, um, when her late husband Joe, who many of you know meant a lot to me, back when I was in college, he would hire me to help do wood stove and, and, and fireplace inserts and things like that. And, Diane, he always paid me more than I was worth. I don't know why. He would say, I'm paying you commission. I'm like, Joe, I didn't sell the stove. It's probably Diane's commission. But, you know, he, would, he would always pay me more than I deserved. He would say, well, I couldn't do this by myself. And, he, you know, and uh, just as, as a man of God meant a lot to me over the years. And, and when he was struck with cancer and going through that battle, I, I saw this written in their home. And I would go and I would visit and pray with Joe. And when I would pray with Joe, I would think, man, when you've nothing left but God, God's enough. And he maintained that mentality until the day he stepped into the presence of Christ. And, uh, and so I'm grateful that Miss Diane gave me this because it sits in my office. And at times, listen, I know that sometimes I, I joke with Tina, and, you know, say, well, as long as I've got you, I've got all I need, right? As long as I've got our family, got our kids and all that. But the bottom line is, God is enough. God is enough. And if we can just get into His presence, and through prayer and the Word of God, we can camp out there in His presence, constantly in contact with the hem of His garment, then we will experience all that He desires us to experience, even till that day we step into glory and we're in His ultimate presence forever. Touch the tassels daily with the Word of God in prayer. And then finally, I want you to see it's two wonderful stories of those who experienced miraculous healing touch and, and hope for the future, but I want you to see the honor for the disciples in the midst of the action. The honor for the disciples in the midst of an action. See, they were honored by getting to get in on all of this. See, to me, here's the good part. Some of you this morning are saying, you know what, I'm not really in anguish right now. My hope is in Christ, and, and I'm filled with hope this morning, and and others of you are saying, I don't really know that I need a healing this morning. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. It's time for you to experience the honor of the disciples in the midst of all of this action. Last week, Pastor Ben put it this way, what, what are you waiting for? Because God is inviting us to get in on something. So in verse 19, with Jesus at work, 
it says that Jesus and His disciples got up and followed Him. Jesus got up and His disciples said, you know what, it's great to sit here in the presence of Christ. Jesus is talking with us. Jesus is teaching us. Oh, but when Jesus moves, it's time for me to move. If Jesus is going, I'm going. And so again, that's taking Jesus by the hand, experiencing His presence because you want to stay close to Him. God is doing, as DC Talk used to put it, (laughs) a new thing. God is doing a brand new thing in my life and in your life. He wants to do a new thing in 2015, but we've got to be willing to get up and walk with Him. Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 19, God's doing a new thing. Will you not know it? Will you not get in on it? Will you not be a part of it? Are you going to miss out on it? I see so many people that think, you know what, it's okay if I drift from God just a little bit. And they worry about what they might be robbing God of from time to time. But listen, you're not just robbing God when you drift from Him. You're missing out on everything God had for you. In Mark chapter 5, we see that Three disciples who were closer to Jesus than all the other disciples, Peter, James, and John, were even allowed to come into the room. So when we are in that inner circle, when we really draw close to Jesus, we're going to be right there when He does phenomenal things. See, none of us are really all that apart from God. But when we walk with Him, we just get in on the good stuff. And we get to see Him do things, and He will do things in and through us. And and see, this is kind of the the first step of this disciple-making process, because as we continue in in, in chapter 9 and chapter 10, and we get on the rest of the book, we're going to see Jesus had a disciple-making strategy. I often say it like this. If you want to teach someone to do something, you say, watch me do it. Then you say, help me do it. Then you say, I'm going to watch you do it, or I'm going to help you do it, and then I'm going to watch you do it. Jesus was letting His disciples see Him at work. But eventually, he would be sending them out to do the same kind of work. See, when Jesus touches you, you'll want to be a part of him doing it again in somebody else's life. When Jesus touches you, when you experience his power, when you experience the hope, when you experience the healing in your life, you will want to be a part of him doing that in somebody else's life. It's not that you'll have to, it's that... You get to. It's an honor to be a part of it. The missions and ministry opportunities, the the opportunities to step out on faith, it's an honor. You don't say, really, do do I have to serve down at the church? Do do I have to go to worship today? God forbid that that anyone would ever look at our worship services here, Jeff, and, and say, do I have to be a part of that? That we would all say, man, it is an honor, it is a joy to come in and to celebrate the presence, not out of obligation, but out of honor that I can come in to the very presence of God, to worship, to serve. When the ministry placement team is looking for folks to serve in the various ministries of the church, they shouldn't have to go far before people are coming to them saying, you know what, find me a place, I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to get after it. Go where the action is. Don't grow stale in your faith. Stay close to Jesus and you'll be on the scene when the exciting things take place. Remember the story of a man who was, uh, I'll just say, intellectually challenged. (laughs) 
many decades ago, he, he wanted to get a job with a railroad as a switchman. And so he went in for the training, and the one who had trained him was a little bit reluctant about putting him in control there at the railroad. And, and, and so he's talking with him, and he says, all right, let me just review a few things. He said, um, let's say, for instance, you're working this location. A train is coming from the north. He's 40 miles away. He's going 50 miles per hour headed in this direction. A train is coming from the south. He's the same distance to the south. He's coming at the same speed. These trains are on the same track. What are you going to do? The guy said, well, I'm going to holler to the top of my lungs, R.J. And his teacher said, now wait a minute, I don't, I don't understand. You, you, you don't get it. This train is coming from the north. One's coming from the south. The same track, same speed. They're, they're, there's, they're going to meet right here on this track. What are you going to do? He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to holler to the top of my lungs. R.J. This teacher said, no, that's the wrong answer, and I, I can't put you in charge if, if that's your answer, but I've got to explain to me. I didn't see that in the notes. What does it mean for a switchman to holler, R.J.? He said, well, I really don't know, but my buddy R.J. lives right over the street, and he ain't never seen a crash this big. <laughs> Some of us want to get in on the action when it's too late. We, we want to say, you know, something big's going to happen. There's going to be a big wreck. Or maybe we want to mock the wreck that the world is like those who are mocking and laughing at Jesus. But those who truly want to get in on the action are the ones who want to stop the train wrecks or pull people from the wreckage. And we want to draw close to Jesus so that we are on the scene when God is at work in a mighty way. I don't want to miss out on it. And, and I could talk ministry strategy I could talk about goals, plans, when you aim at nothing, you hit it every time and all of that. But if I could challenge you to do one thing this morning, church, one thing, Christian, one thing, family, draw close to Jesus. Be closer to Jesus in 2015 than you ever have been. More in love with Him, more passionate about Him and the things of God than ever. Draw close to Jesus. Would you pray with me?